Ephesians 5:15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oh, Jesus, how true that is. Lord, people trust in things that seem great and impenetrable to them, things like world financial markets. And we think there's just no way that could crumble. We have the FDIC. It couldn't happen. Well, it could happen, Lord. All the things of this world that seem so strong and stable and trustworthy to us, things that most of us have thought for all of our adult lives that would be there for as long as we live, they could evaporate in a moment. We could hear on CNN today that it's all gone. There's a depression ten times as great as the one in 1927. It could happen, but not with you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah! On Christ the solid rock we stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Oh Jesus, give us grace to know that today. Give us grace to see it. Give us grace to feel it. Give us grace to fly to Christ along with Psalm 91, to hide under the shadow of your wings. You are such a great and gracious God. Please minister this to us in our lives. A little bit of joy now in the world will lead to a lot of pain later, but a little bit of pain now taking our cross up to follow Christ will lead to eternal joy both now and later. So please help us, Lord, to be wise. Please help us to come to the rock. And please help us now to submit ourselves before Your Word, Jesus. We need Your Word more desperately than we think we do. So please help us. As I unfold it and as all of us listen, I pray that You would use Your Word to minister to our lives, Father. Shape us more and more into Your image by the strength and the mercy and the power of Your Word. I offer myself to You now, Lord. I forsake trust in everything else as much as I'm able to do that. And I pray that every one of us in this room would offer ourselves to You to be good hearers and to be fertile soil that is eager to receive a seed that could sprout and grow and bear fruit in our lives. So please help us now. Lord, please receive this from us now. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in Your sight, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. It's so good to be in His presence. Just so Good to be reminded that He is the only rock. And I hope, if nothing else, you hear that message today and throw yourself upon the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ with all of your heart, all of your weight. You don't put any weight anywhere else but on Jesus Christ. He's the one that's solid. Well, last week, we began a conversation about mutual submission in the church because of what Paul said in Ephesians 5.21. We're working our way through Ephesians, a very slow snail's pace, finally got into chapter 5, verse 21, and he says that we ought to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. 
This week I want to continue that conversation by, I want to first begin by reiterating a few ideas from last week, just get them back on our maps, and then I want to move on and add to that to talk about the relationship between mutual submission and worship, because I don't think most of us, especially in life at full speed, think about submission as an act of worship, but when it's done out of reverence for Christ, it is just that, and I hope to unfold that for us this morning just a little bit. So, a few key ideas from last week. Number one, the church is a people who have been redeemed by God through Jesus Christ. So the church is a people. It's not a building, right? And therefore, wherever the church, wherever Christians go, there the church is. Christians do not go to church. Christians are the church. And wherever we are, there the church is. And therefore, when we talk about mutual submission in the church, we're not just talking about that in the light of services like this or small group gatherings or men's retreats or whatever. We're talking about it wherever Christians go. Wherever Christians are gathered together, there Jesus is with them. Amen? And wherever Christians are gathered together, there ought to be an air of mutual submission about us, which leads to the next point from last week. The most appropriate contexts for mutual submission in the life of the church is, I do believe in this order, our families and then small clusters of families who do life together for the sake of the name. And then number three, the larger gatherings of the church, like Sunday morning worship services or men's retreats or small groups or however it is that we get together as a larger church. And the reason that we put it in this order is because, just honestly, we spend more time with the people that we're close to than we do with the whole entire church. How can you possibly obey a command like submit to one another out of reverence for Christ among people that you hardly ever see, right? But you're living with your family all the time. And so every single day you have a chance to practice and obey this commandment by the grace of Jesus Christ in your home and in small clusters of families that you spend more time with and then in gatherings like this in the church. Finally, number three, the call to mutual submission in the church is the call to walk in humility toward one another. The call to mutual submission in the church does not undo the authority structures that God has put in place, either in the church as a whole or in the family, but it does infuse those structures with an air of humility, or at least it's supposed to do that. That is the design. In the church as a whole, God has appointed some of us to lead for the glory of His name and for the good of His people. And He has commanded His people to submit to their leadership and to follow them, not mindlessly, but to humbly follow behind their leadership. The leaders in the church, when they don't lead well, or the followers in the church, when they don't follow well, churches either implode or they explode, or they somehow or other derail the mission that God has put them on. So it's very important that we come to see the authority structures that God has put in place in the church, that we learn to understand them and to apply them and to live by them because our Father knows what He's doing, right? To submit to the structures God has set up inside the church is not essentially to submit to one another. That's a, that's a sub-thing. The main thing we're doing is submitting to the wisdom of God who said, my house shall be built like such and so. And we trust Him. We trust Him in that. And we ought to. But as we do that, the point is that the whole structure ought to be in, filled with humility. 
It ought to be infused with humility, beginning with the leaders and all the way down. So leaders lead not with the passion to dominate people or to complete their own agendas in the church. No, they die to themselves and they lead for the glory of God and the good of other people. More and more they become self-forgetful as they humble themselves before the mighty hand of God and He lifts them up for the good of others. One day the Lord was leading me, this was years ago now, He was leading me to take a, a, a position of leadership in the city where I used to pastor. And I was really arguing with Him about it because I felt like to jump into that position would exalt me. And I didn't want to be exalted in this position. And so I, I was battling with the Lord. And at one point I said to him, I said, I know this can't be coming from you because you would never call me to exalt myself. Amen. I know for sure now you're not calling me into this position. And what I sense the Lord say back to me is, Charlie, you're just right. I would never call you to, to exalt yourself. My glory I will not share with another. But, the Lord said to me, I believe, I would call you to lead others to exalt me. I would do that. I would never call you to exalt yourself, but I would raise you up to call others to exalt me. And that's the way that the Lord works. When the, when the structures of the church are infused with humility, the glory of God is the thing at the center. And not the ego of the leaders or the, the wants of the followers. And so we need to trust Him and do that. In the family. God has appointed husbands to take the lead. And He has called upon the wife to submit to the husband's leadership. And then together as a unit, the husband and the wife are called to take the lead over the children. And the children are called to submit to their parents. Now this is something we're going to push into in great detail in the coming months. But I, I hope you heard what I just said. The husband and the wife, as far as the children are concerned, are one thing. It's just like God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there is an order inside the Godhead. The Son is submitted to the Father. The Holy Spirit is submitted to the Son and to the Father, but they're one God, right? And we submit to them as one God. Same thing in the house. There is inside the parent's hood, if you will. There's an order. The husband leads, the wife submits, but as far as the children are concerned, they are one. And they are to obey their mothers just as their fathers. They are one thing. Now the thing is that the call to mutual submission does not undo this. Paul is not saying, parents, follow your children. It's a tragedy when parents follow their children. When parents let children lead, bad things happen. And you can see that all over our culture right now. Even just in the obsession with sports in our culture. When children lead, bad things happen. So Paul's not saying, parents, follow your children. But he is saying, infuse the household with humility. And parents, lead your children with loving kindness and tenderness. And since we're sinners, listen to your children. There are times when my daughter points stuff out about me that she is dead right about. And I need to listen to. I need to listen to her. And in that way, I submit myself to her and say, yes, Rachel, you're right. Your daddy's flawed. Your daddy's flawed. And I always try to point out to her, God is not like your daddy. I am flawed. He is not. I am flawed. He is not. I want her to know me and God are, are different, right? But when she points something out right, I've got to submit myself to that. That's what mutual submission looks like in the home. Mutual submission makes humility visible. It makes it tangible. So if there's not a sense of submissiveness in the home, you can say you're humble, but there's no tangibility to it. So that's what mutual submission does. Now I want to take some time this week, that was all from last week, I'm going to take some time this week 
to talk about how all of that relates to worship. Because I don't think that we normally think about it in those terms. How many times when you are required to submit to a husband or to a parent or to a government agency or to a boss or whatever, how many times do you think of that as worship and experience it as worship? Oh, joy! I get to submit to so-and-so. How often does that happen to you? My, my suspicion would be that it doesn't happen very often to us because we haven't been taught well in the church, or at least I haven't been, about the relationship between submission and worship. And so I want to push into this a little bit today because I want to increase our joy. I really want to increase our joy and the glory of God as we learn what it means to worship. I have three positive reasons and one negative reason to offer to you this morning as to why we ought to see submission as an integral part of worship. First, the desire and the ability to submit to one another are owing to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come out of nowhere. This thing is born of experience with God by the Holy Spirit, and therefore when we do it, it's worship. Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, Do not be drunk with wine. Why? For that is debauchery. That is the opposite of worship. But be filled with the Spirit. And then dot, dot, dot. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I want us to connect this. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The desire... And the ability to submit to one another is a, is a response of thankfulness to God that's born of the ministry of the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's as He applies the gospel to our lives that we respond to Him in thanksgiving by doing whatever it is that He calls us to do. Mutual submission is a way of saying to God, Thank you, Father, for forgiving my sins and transforming my soul from one degree to another by the grace and glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you for pouring your mercy into this sinful heart, into this sinful life, turning my back on you day by day by day, and yet your steadfast love, it continues to pour into my life. Thank you, Father. And now, whatever you would ask me to do, I will do by the power of your Holy Spirit. And if you call on me to submit to others, I will do it out of reverence for you. I love you, Father. And if that's how I can express my love for you, I will do it. I am grateful to you. And if that's how I can express my gratefulness, I will do it. Friends, that's what mutual submission ought to be. And that is worship. That's worship. When you see the mercy of God in your life and you respond with obedience, that is worship. And so that's the first reason we ought to think of mutual submission as worship. And the more we do, the more our joy will increase. I promise you, I promise you, when you are called on to submit the more you are conscious of the fact that you're doing it out of reverence for Christ, it will increase your joy in life. And it will increase the verbal glory that God gets through your life as well. Number two, the reason it's right to think about mutual submission as an integral aspect of worship is because the essence of submission and the essence of humility or uh, worship are just the same. The essence of what submission is and the essence of what worship is are just the same, and that is humility. That's humility. And as I've already said, that humility isn't born of nothing. It's born of something. As the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and an ability to comprehend God and be filled with the fullness of God, our lips are released for praise and thanksgiving, and our will is bent towards submission. We just become more humble. 
As I taught you a few times over this worship series, really the essence of what worship is, is seeing something of the magnitude and the greatness of God and just being humbled by it. Just feeling humbled by it. Kind of reminds me of when we took a vacation once up in the redwoods of California. I mean, 300 plus foot tall trees. Things so huge you could drive a car right through them. In fact, we did. We drove our Dodge Caravan right through the middle of it. And basically for two weeks we just hung out in the shadow of the redwoods. And we looked and I rode my bike for 200 miles in those two weeks. I just couldn't stop just being in the shadow of them and thinking about the fact that they're like 2,000 years old. They were here just around the time Christ came and they're still here. It was humbling. It was really, really humbling to be in that for two weeks. And 10 billion times more. That's what experience of God is supposed to do to us. We see how great He is. We just catch some glimpse of it and it humbles the heart. It humbles the heart. And we sing, we offer thanks, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The main place I get this idea of this dynamic from is Ephesians chapter 3. If you'll please turn there with me. Starting in verse 14, Paul prays a prayer at the end there that, that becomes the fodder from which I draw everything I've just been saying. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't know what strikes you when you hear that prayer, but when I hear that prayer and think about it and meditate on it, my heart just rejoices to say to God, Yes! Give me that! Give me that! Give me Your Spirit that I might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and width and length and height of You. Give me eyes to see You, O God, and to be filled with the fullness of who You are. To be filled with the knowledge of the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge. Oh, how I want that and whole. How I hope that You long for that kind of thing as well. We are so numbed by the things of this world and the things of the flesh but what we need more than anything is eyes to see the beauty of God. If we could have that, we would have everything. We would have everything. And so I have said to God so many times, Lord, they can have all the things of the world, the fame, the power, the money, the prestige, the attention, the sensuality, you name it, they can have it. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. I want eyes to see Him. I want ears to hear Him because everything is right there. All the treasures of life that we have not even imagined are right there. This is why David prayed in Psalm 27.4. I really believe that behind these words was a depth of a, of a passion that he had for God. And he said this, One thing I have asked of the Lord. One thing. That will I seek after. That will I pursue. That will I give my energy to. That will I lose sleep over. This one thing I will seek with all of my heart. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And why, David, did you want that? 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. More than anything and above all things, David wanted eyes to see the beauty of God because in that is everything. Everything is there. Everything. Everything else in life falls in place when this one thing is true of us, that we've been granted eyes to see the beauty of God. And the the good news for us this morning, brothers and sisters, in Christ, if you are in Christ, is that is exactly what the Holy Spirit is laboring to work in you. To give you eyes to see the breadth and length and height and depth and to be filled with all the fullness of God that for the rest of your life and indeed for all eternity, you would be stunned you would be stunned by the beauty and the grace and the mercy of Him who saved you in Christ. And the thing is, that as He gives you eyes like that to see, from one degree to another, it just flat humbles you. It humbles you. And you worship Him by offering Him praise in song. You worship Him by thanking Him always and for everything in the name of Jesus. And you worship Him by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This leads to the next point. Mutual submission is an integral aspect of worship because submission to others expresses and completes our submission to Christ. Submission to other people makes concrete, it makes real, it makes authentic our submission to Christ. Without a horizontal kind of submission, our vertical submission to Christ is really just lip service, is all that it is. This is why Paul says in verse 21, not just submit to one another, period. But he says submit to one another specifically out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another in a particular kind of way. And that particular kind of way is out of reverence for Christ. And the reason he put it that way is because when our submission is not out of reverence for Christ, our submission is not worship. Or if I could put that positively, to the extent that our submission to one another is out of reverence for Jesus, and that's what motivates us, then that submission is a reverence of Christ. It is worship. Not all acts of submission are acts of worship because not all acts of submission are directed toward Jesus, right? So let's imagine a person at a job who's really wanting to obey their boss and do every single thing their boss says to do and to do it really well and in fact to go beyond what their boss says to do. This person gets to work 15 minutes early. They live 15 minutes late. They do everything that they're called on to do and they go the extra mile. But their motive is they want to be noticed. They want to be praised. They want to get a promotion. They want to get a raise. They want all the benefits of climbing up the corporate ladder. That's their motive. Well, that kind of submission is not worship. It can never be worship because it's self-promotion, right? On the outside, it might look good and fine and just the same. But on the inside, the motives are toward the self and therefore that's not worship. But if that same person in that same job does all those same things not to get a promotion, but to make Christ look really beautiful in their workplace, that a person who follows Jesus looks like this, not because they're great, but because Jesus is great. A person who follows Christ has a generally submissive and obedient and passionate attitude about what it is that they're doing. Like my mom used to tell me, she said, I don't care what you become in this world. Even if you're a ditch digger, just be the best ditch digger you can possibly be. If you dig ditches for the glory of Jesus, you will make Him look beautiful where you are. 
People will notice that He is beautiful. The attention will deflect from you off to Him. When you submit like that, friends, that is worship. That is worship. And when you submit to Him like that, your joy goes way up. It just goes tremendously up. And how I long for that for us today. Submission to Christ needs submission to others to complete it, to express it, to authenticate it. And our submission to others needs Christ to make it worship. So you see, they need each other. Our submission to Christ needs submission to others to make it real. If I tell Christ I love you, but I will not serve my wife, then one thing's for sure, I'm a liar. But if I will show my love for Him by serving her, then that completes my love for Him. It makes it real. But I need Him because if I serve her out of another motive, it's not worship. And yet if I serve her out of love for Christ, that is worship. So they need each other. Would you please turn with me to Titus 3? I want to look with you at Titus 3, 1 to 8, because the dynamics that I've been talking about are just so well captured here. And uh, I do want to say a few things about it, but mostly I want to bring it to your attention so that maybe later today you could spend some time looking at this and praying about it and how it might apply to your life. So Titus 3, starting in verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now, as far as I can tell, that's about... It's at least one of the best broad definitions of what it looks like to be mutually submissive that I know of in the Bible. Just a great definition. It means that we would be submissive to authorities. We would generally be obedient people. We would be ready and eager to perform every good work that comes our way, even if it gets in the way of our agenda. In fact, I was telling Mike Perry this morning that in light of all this, I prayed this morning. When I got up, I said, Jesus, please offend my agenda for today that I might be able to display my humility and submissiveness towards others by giving up what I was going to do and doing what you're calling me to do. And when we're like that, it just shows a, shows a humility. We don't speak ill of one another. We avoid needless controversies. It doesn't say avoid controversy, but needless controversy. And in all things, we're gentle and courteous toward all people. And in a nutshell, that's what it looks like to be mutually submissive to one another. With that picture in mind, Paul continues in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So there was a time when we were anything but submissive would be one way to think about it. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that all who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for the people. Now what's Paul saying here, especially in verse 8 there? What is the dynamic that he is pointing at? I believe that he's saying that out of gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ, we ought to serve one another. We ought to be the kind of people who look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Or as he said in Philippians 2, 
We ought to be the kind of people who, who actually come to think of others as better than ourselves, more significant than ourselves, more important than ourselves, so that, so that we would die to our own agendas and serve other people for the glory of God and their good. You once were disobedient, led astray, all these things. You were dark and sick inside. But in Jesus Christ, God forgave all that and saved you. Now, display your thankfulness for it by serving one another. Be eager to do good works. Eager. Not just willing like, yeah, whatever. I guess if I have to, I have to. No. Be eager because of the beauty of the value of what God has done in your lives. We were talking about, this week there's a conference down in Minneapolis that Kevin and I went to, and before that, we met with several church planners from around the country for two days. And there was a time in that conference where we were talking about um, getting in touch with our sinful nature and grieving at our own sin, even as Christians. Letting the, the seriousness of our sin actually even lead us into maybe a little bit of, of depression. Let the weight of it land on you, not for the sake of depression, but for the sake of understanding how great the mercy of God is in your life. And when you skip too quickly over the darkness of your sin, what you're doing is robbing yourself of the beauty of the mercy of God that's manifesting inside of your body, inside of your life. And if you will see that mercy, it will humble you and make you so thankful. And then Paul is saying, on the basis of that, be eager to do good works. Be eager to submit to one another. Be eager to be humble to one another. And friends, that's worship. That is worship. When you see the beauty of what He's done and you respond in some outward way like that, that is worship. And so, I've made the point three positive ways now. I've said that mutual submission is an integral part of worship because, first of all, and this really is first, it's born of the Holy Spirit as He ministers to us, gives us eyes to see the beauty of the things of Jesus Christ, and sometimes eyes to see the darkness and depth of our sin. He opens us up to our depravity so that we can see the mercy of God in a greater way at times. Number two, the essence of mutual submission is humility, which is also the essence of worship. And so there's a deep link there. And then finally, number three, submission to one another is necessary to outwork or complete our submission to Christ. I want to make the point one more way, this time negatively. And I put it in the form of an equation. And I hope that you emblaze this on your brain because it's really important. Worship minus submission equals hypocrisy. Worship minus submission equals hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is abhorrent to God. So I want to take you to three places to show you this. We could go to a lot of places, in fact. As I'm talking, you're going to think of a lot more places. But you'll get the point. Isaiah 58, 1-4. Cry out loud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if... They were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. They were really religious people. These were really faithful people. These were nearly perfectly legalistic people. They did it all. And they did it all right. And they did it all often. In fact, daily. But verse 3, Why have we fasted and you see it not, O Lord? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, 
In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with wicked fists. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. And then the Lord goes on to tell them in Isaiah 58 how their voice can be heard. And basically what He says is, listen, authenticate your outward acts of worship by the way you live your lives, by the way you treat your family, by the way you treat your workers, by the way you walk with love and justice and mercy in the world. And if you're not going to do that, I am always going to hate your feasts. I'm going to hate your hypocrisy because worship minus submission equals hypocrisy. It's just a bunch of games. It's just a bunch of religion made to make you look really good in the sight of people. But I, the Lord says, I see your heart. And it's filled with things that are displeasing to me. Worship minus submission equals hypocrisy. That's a horrible thing. It's a horrid thing. So, the point I'm trying to make is, you better not divorce submission from worship. Don't do this. Because it's a horrible mistake to make. Number two, Amos 5, 21-24. This is God speaking. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But... Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now what in the world is going on here? God had commanded the people to have these feasts. God had commanded them to hold these solemn assemblies and woe to them if they did not. God had commanded them to offer these burnt offerings, these peace offerings, these sin offerings. And again, woe to them if they did not obey the Lord. God had commanded them to sing His praises in song and to play their harps and cymbals with all of their heart. He commanded all these things. And now God Almighty who commanded these things is saying, Stop them! I hate them! I don't want to hear it! Your songs on Christ the solid rock I stand sound like a bunch of jangled noise to me. Stop it! Stop it! What's going on here? And I think the answer is very simple. Sin makes life complex, but life in Christ is very simple. These people had remembered to do the outward things, but they had forgotten to do the more important things, like love your neighbor as you love yourself. They got the love of the Lord your God down, part down, at least in the way that it looked from the outside. They were on time. They did the things they were supposed to do. They did them with a supposed passion, but it was all hypocrisy. Because outside of the official moment, forget it. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live life the way I want to live. I'm not going to serve anybody. I'm going to serve myself. I'm going to live for me, and I'm going to use your name to make me look really good. And God said, I hate that. I hate that. I despise hypocrisy. Worship minus submission equals hypocrisy. God despises it. He absolutely despises it. So let us not go there. Earlier this week on Tuesday morning, I had been asked to come and bring a devotional to the pastors at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. And as I shared from someone 19, one of the pastors shared a story of two families that came to Bethlehem and were trained for ministry in Bethlehem and were sent off some years ago. And now both families are on the brink of divorce. 
And it's very serious. This pastor was on the phone with him for hours and hours this week, trying to help him talk to each other, trying to save the marriages. And he said with tears in his eyes, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're going to be able to save these ones. And the more he shared, it seemed pretty apparent that what the problem was is that these men of God had come to Bethlehem and learned all the finer points of theology, or at least many of them. They became very articulate, very able to argue theology They perfected what it looked like to be a good Christian on the outside, but they forgot to love their wife as Christ loved the church. They used their theological training as a weapon against her rather than a tool by which to serve her. And it embittered her to Him. And not only that, it embittered her to Bethlehem and to God. To God. One of the women said to this pastor, he said, I don't want anything to do with Bethlehem or your God. The problem is not Bethlehem. The problem is not God. The problem is a man who divorced submission from worship and became a hypocrite and hurt somebody. Big time. Big time. I don't want my life to be a reason why somebody hates God. Who wants that? Nobody should want that. So don't divorce submission from your life of worship. It's bigger than you think it is. It really is. It's an integral part. Your love for Jesus expressed in concrete acts of love and service and humility toward other people. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. So I plead with you, just don't be hypocrites. And if you see that in me, or if you see that in Kevin, please call it out in us. We don't want this. We're going to war in our lives against it because I don't want Jesus to say, I hate your church services. I want him to say, Amen, it's 9 o'clock on Sunday morning in Elk River, Minnesota. I can't wait to be with my people. I want him to feel like that about us. So please, point it out. Point it out in each other. Let's help each other. Just be a humble, submissive people before Jesus because it is a necessary part of our worship to Him. One more text. Matthew 23, 1-12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Now, at the conference this week, one of the speakers actually brought this up and he pointed out something that I want to point out. Scribes and Pharisees are roughly equal to evangelical pastors today. They were the Bible-believing, conservative, inerrantists, the conservative theologians of the day. As far as theological issues go, Jesus sided with them every single time against the Sadducees. All the time. These people were in our spot. And so, especially as a pastor, I take this very personally. And I don't think Jesus is just talking to some people across the ocean of 2,000 years some, in some distant time. He's talking to us now. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So, practice whatever they tell you to do, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, And they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Those were things that would cause if they they had robes on, and if they would do this, they would look like a peacock. They'd have all these beautiful things here. They love that. They love to be seen like that. And they love the place of honor at feasts 
and the best seats in the synagogues. They love being in the front row. They love being up on the stage. They love people to look at them and say, wow, that guy really must be something. They love greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi or pastor or whatever by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one Father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servants. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then Jesus goes on in verses 13 to 36 to pronounce seven specific woes on the scribes and Pharisees. And six times he calls them hypocrites. Six times. At the end of the passage, He calls them a brood of vipers and serpents. These are not kind words. These are not good things. You do not want Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe and the judge of all things, to call you a hypocrite and a serpent and a brood of vipers. If you'll read these woes carefully, what you'll see is that they were born of this divorce that happened in the scribes and Pharisees' lives. They divorced their outward acts of worship from their acts of humility toward other people and God hated it. He hated it. We're not talking about people who gave it all they had and just failed because they're weak people. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who deliberately put on the religious face over here and then over here live for themselves self-indulgent lives. They're just trying to put on the show and tell you to live in a way that they could never even think about living themselves. And why? For the glory of their name, not for the glory of God's name. What did that do? It invited upon them the woes of Jesus Christ. And as I said, none of us wants that. None of us wants that. Worship minus submission equals hypocrisy. And hypocrisy invites upon the people of God woe. 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 And so... If there's any of that that's true in our lives right now, if there is hypocrisy in your life right now, you're putting on the face at church, you're living like the devil at home to some degree, my advice to you would be just repent. Kevin, I love the text that you read for us today, Psalm 51. A broken spirit and a contrite heart God will not despise. He will not despise. The crushing weight of your sin can be evaporated in a moment if you will simply lay your life out before Jesus and say, I'm sorry, Jesus. Please help me. Please change me. He will forgive you just like that. That's the meaning of the cross. So if you have subtracted submission from worship and you are a hypocrite, oh, just fly to Christ. Fly to Him. Be on your face before Him today. He'll forgive you. Enough said. I hope you see that there is an integral connection between submission to one another and worship. It's deep. This is a very deep ocean. It's a very deep ocean. And I just want, before I pray, to take one more minute to tell you why I wanted to push on this so hard today. Why I wanted to go to whatever pains I did to establish this fact with you today. As your pastor and as your friend in Christ, I simply want for you the joy of Jesus when you engage in, in practical acts of submission every day of your life. That's, that's it. I think the Lord is exalting this before glory of Christ this morning to increase our joy and His glory. So, if you get pulled over by a cop this week, you're out on the road, maybe speeding a little bit, He pulls you over, 
submit to him out of reverence for Christ, even getting a ticket could become an act of worship for you. Wives, if you have to submit to your husband in some way this week, especially in a way that you're not really excited about, oh boy, I get to do something my husband wants me to do that I don't want to do. Do it out of reverence for Jesus. Don't think about your husband. It's not mainly about you and your husband. Not at all. It's mainly about your heart before Jesus Christ. And to say to Him, Jesus, I love You. I trust You. You've made me who I am. You've saved me. You've put me in this role. I submit myself out of reverence for You. Believe me, your joy will go up. Believe me. Maybe, you know, maybe right in the moment there might not be a lot of giddy happiness. But joy in God is born from obedience. Joy in God is born from obedience. Fathers, if you, like I have so many times, have one of your children come up to you and prophetically point out a big flaw in you, humble yourself before her or before him. Submit yourself to that. Receive it because your joy will go up. Do it out of reverence for Jesus. Jesus loves to use the weakest among us sometimes to speak a word from him, right? So we're always looking for a word from the big shot up in front, but that most of the time, I think the Lord wants to speak through the completely unexpected person for the glory of His name. So fathers, humble yourselves in your family. Your joy will go way, way, way up over time. If you're at work and your boss wants you to do something and you don't particularly want to do it, worship Jesus and then do it. And I promise you, your joy is going to go up. You can fill in a hundred more blanks. But please get this idea. What, what is practically at stake in all this for us is our joy in Christ. That's what's practically at stake. The more we consciously submit out of reverence for Jesus, the higher our joy goes and the higher His glory goes. With that, let's pray. Jesus, I am so deeply grateful to You for what You have done in my life and for all these displays of the grace of God in Christ that are sitting before me right now. Lord, in this room right now are vast treasures of the mercy of God. And it says in Ephesians 2.7 that you will be praised forever and ever and ever because of the mercy that you're displaying in our lives right now sitting in this room. And so I pray for eyes to see the beauty of what you're doing. Pray for ears to hear. I pray for hearts to receive that we might look at that, rejoice in it, and then respond to you out of thankfulness respond to you by praising you, by giving you thanks, and by submitting to one another. Please, Jesus, work these things into our lives. The words have come into our ears. Now I pray, please, do what only you can do. Work these things into our lives for the glory of your name and the good of your church. I pray these things. Amen.